Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. We're looking for patterns of the early church, how they interacted with each other, what they how they viewed God, how they viewed themselves, how they viewed each other. How do they deal with living life after what happened at Easter? So that's where we're at now. And what we're going to see here is this pattern that I want us to start with in Acts chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 20. And what, let me give you some background here. Um, there's a guy named Simon, not Peter, but a different guy named Simon. And this guy's a sorcerer which means that he's really a magician. So he can do all these things, and everybody's impressed with it, and they think he can do magic. Um, he comes to, to know Jesus. He, he comes to know Jesus as his Savior, as the Messiah, and so he turns his life around. But as we're going to see, when you turn your life around, that doesn't mean everything changes. It doesn't mean that you figure everything out. And so he is, is walking with these apostles, and he's learning, and he's growing. But we're going to see that still he has a lot to learn. Because what we see here in Acts 8.20 is what's happened just prior to this is um, the disciples have laid their hands on someone, prayed over them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And Simon, the sorcerer, sees this. He's like, what? I got to get me some of that. And so he offers to buy it. He, hey, what does this cost? Because he's wealthy because he's a magician. Everybody's impressed. He has a lot of money. So he has, he's a wealthy man. And he wants to buy this power to be able to pray over people and give them the Holy Spirit. And he's offering the apostles money so they can teach him how he can have this power. Now, I know you're looking at this going, that is so dumb. Well, we're going to see how much we are like him. Because he doesn't know any better. He's, he has made a decision to follow Jesus. He has been baptized. And yet, the process of change still has to happen. And this is how Peter responds after Simon's request. He says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Now, if this Simon the sorcerer could look back at his life, if he could go back and see this, he would do what we always do. Like, oh, my, I can't believe I did that. Can you believe I did that? You can relate to him. You know what he's going through. All you have to do is go home. When you get home, I want you to open up any yearbook from any time, elementary school, junior high, high school, especially high school, and I want you to just look and see what you were wearing. And you're going to look at that and go, what the heck was I thinking? For real? And then some of you are going to look back at your hair. You're be like, what? And some of you are going to look back and go, oh, look at all that hair I did have. And then you ladies are going to be like, oh, that was, oh, I cannot believe I did. I would never do that again. Oh, you will, because that style will come right back again. But the point is, is that we look at back in our life and we're going to see where some of our unright thinking was about things that are important, about things that matter, about our views of God, our views of ourselves, and our views of each other. Now, what we're going to see here as we look at Acts is that God is in the business he does this over and over again of setting things right. And what we see happen here with Simon, we're going to look at a couple other instances um, of God doing this because I want us to see this pattern, to see that he not only does it here with Simon the sorcerer, but he does it with Peter. He does it with Peter later. We're going to study that in a couple weeks. 
He does it with uh, Paul the Apostle. He does it with so many other people and he's going to do it with us. And when I was thinking through this pattern and thinking about God's nature, because I'd never really taught on this before and I never really thought about it until I was looking at the book of Acts for patterns, looking to see how God does the same thing over and over again. And it reminded me, this pattern reminded me of when I was uh, in high school and I wanted to be a lifeguard and they take us through lifeguard training and so we went to this place down in Mission Beach in San Diego called The Plunge. And uh, it was this huge warehouse of a pool. It's really nice now, but back then, so not nice. Uh, in fact, it was just a plain, huge pool, and they actually used it for Top Gun. They did filming there because it looked like a military installment. And they said, perfect. Boring, plain colors, looks like no one's done anything for years. We got it. And so that's where we did our training. Huge pool. Bunch of us young people, old people, trying to figure out how to be lifeguards. It was it called advanced lifesaving. It's one of the certificates you had to get. And so our instructor um, would show us and teach us all the tricks of how to save people's lives. How to jump in, how to, you know, the basics. Like, hey, don't jump in. Throw this. If you have to jump in, you do this. If they do that, you're going to. So he went through all of his bag of tricks. And then at the end, he said, now, we're off the record here. This is not part of your training book because we had this book and we had to read through it all. This is not in there because sometimes you're going to try everything and it's not going to work. You're going to try coming from behind. You're going to come up this way. You're going to try to grab them from here. You're going to go underneath. They're going to grab you and keep you up and they're not going to let go and they're going to pull you in close and now you're in danger. And he said, so I'm going to tell you a story of something I went through. He kind of was trying to go around it because he wanted to basically say, you may come to this point where you have to do this to save somebody's life. And I can't teach you it because it's not in the training book and I'll get in trouble. But I'm going to tell you a story so that you understand that sometimes you have to do this to save somebody's life. Sometimes no matter what you do, they're not going to go through any of the other things you try. And you're going to have to do this. And so he talked about this uh, guy. He came in from behind. He went underneath. Nothing worked. And the guy had him up close, just like, Right there, oh, and he's freaking out because he's, he's drowning. So this person who's drowning didn't know what to do, so he's just, oh, and he's staring with his eyes all bulging, looking at his face, oh, and so the instructor said, I just grabbed him by the shoulders, and I headbutted him as hard as I possibly could right in the face. He basically punched the drowning person in the face, and the person went like this, and it's not like the movies where you punch them out and they fall down. Like, very few times are you ever going to punch somebody out, so he headbutted him or punched him because he couldn't get his hands loose because they were all grabbed. So he pulled him in close, headbutted him, um, stunned him, and then went behind, and then he could save his life. And afterwards, this guy who got punched in the face, you know what he said? Thank you so much for punching me in the face. <laughs> if you look through the book of Acts, you're going to see patterns of God punching the people he loves in the face to save them. Probably not the message you were expecting this morning. It was, it was really fun going through that with Tyler. We were going through the worship set and, you know, what are we going to talk about? What are we, we're going to talk about God punching us in the face. Tyler's like, you know, I don't know any worship songs that really go in that direction, but we'll figure it out. So we'll see where he goes afterwards. But I want us to see these patterns because we all need that, right? You needed, I mean, in a funny way, you needed someone to go, really, you're going to do your hair like that? You know the styles change. You need to do this. But we're talking about real things here. We're talking about how you see God, how you view 
yourself. As we've talked about for the past few months, it is a sin to not see yourself correctly. Some of you are so buried in guilt and shame, and that is a sin because that is not the way God intended you to view yourself. The way we view others, that needs to be corrected. We have the, we, if you ever meet someone who thinks they have all the answers, that is the last person you want to go to for the answers. In fact, I know a lot of people that, that, that prop themselves up and they want to pretend like they have all the answers and they want to distribute all those answers. Those are the people I never go to for instruction or guidance because I found that they're afraid. They're afraid that they might be wrong. We should not only not be afraid of being wrong, we should be afraid of thinking we're always right. Sometimes we're just so trapped that we want to, we want to take our beliefs and we want to turn them into concrete so they can't be messed with because it makes us feel more secure and comfortable. But if Simon the sorcerer believed that, he would be way off and he would be causing damage not only to other people but to himself. We need to be moldable in God's hands. We need to let him be willing to change the way we think so that we can think correctly so that our heart will be right. Our mind will be right. Our soul will be right. So let's start looking at it. Let's look at, um, let's start here in Acts. We're going to go to Acts 26. We're really in Acts 9. But in Acts 26, Paul is looking back at what happens to him in Acts Chapter 9. So, Steve, if you could take us to the next slide. And I want to give you a little bit of background here and what's happening. So, this is Paul. Um, and he is in front of a guy named King Agrippa. This is the end of Acts. And they've arrested him because he's talking about Jesus as Messiah. And they don't want to hear that. And so, they've arrested him. And they're trying to find a reason why they should uh, keep him in jail or execute him or whatever punishment they're going to distribute. So he is referring back to his life, and he's referring specifically to this situation that happens in Acts chapter 9. Because in Acts chapter 9, Paul, or Saul as he's known, gets punched in the face by God. He had gotten to the point where uh, he was a leader in the, uh, in the Pharisees, and this, in his eyes, this cult, because in his eyes they were a cult, had come up saying that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, this is a man who, since his birth, was given the impression that the Messiah was not going to come during his lifetime. Like, that's never going to happen. That can't happen. And so he had gotten to the point where his thinking was in concrete. His heart was in concrete. So all of these people that were discussing the reality that Jesus was the Messiah, he couldn't have it. And he thought they were actually enemies of God. And he was so sure of it that he went around leading their executions. And this is, how he refers, this is how he's referring back to his old life. And he tells King Agrippa, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. The word I want us to focus on is the very first word there. I was convinced. What is it that you're just absolutely convinced of? Because there's a chance it could be wrong. Especially as it involves people. He was convinced that Jesus 
was not the Messiah. He was convinced that everyone that was a part of that must be an enemy of God. And so he went, because he was convinced, because he was so sure, he went to kill them. Now, we're not, you probably don't have any plans right now to kill anyone. However, what is it that you say about other people because you know they're wrong? What is it that you are convinced of? I'm just thinking about it, seeing, you know, there's so many kids that are in here today. How many of you are convinced that some other parent is just doing it wrong? They should be doing it this way. Or this couple that's going to get married. Mm, nope. No, they shouldn't be doing that. They, that age difference is too great. Or this or that or this. Or, like you're convinced. And then we go deeper and deeper and deeper. You see someone else's faith. I can't believe they believe that. I can't believe they're living that way. I can't believe they're driving that. I can't believe they spent that. I can't believe they're doing this. I can't believe they gave that up. I can't believe because you are convinced on what is right. Because let's be honest. If they were doing it right, you wouldn't disagree with them because you know what the right way is. Paul was positive. He was convinced. But Paul is looking back. He's looking back at his yearbook. He's looking back into his life, and he's, he realizes, I had no idea what I was doing. Let's go to the next slide, this verse 11. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest about noon, and I love the fact that he gives this, these details because in Acts chapter 9, because remember Luke is sharing Acts chapter 9, so he's sharing that perspective, but he leaves this detail out. But Paul, as he's recounting, adds that in. At noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, again, more detail. Hey, he was speaking to me, but this was the language he was speaking to me in. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he's on this journey. He says, on one of the journeys when I was going to Damascus, God had to punch me in the face. That's how, he's, that's how this looks. Like, and this is an extreme version. I mean, God, you think God would have talked to him in another way. Why did he have to like, do the blazing light and all that? Because of how convinced Saul was. He was so sure. God must have been trying to get through to him in other ways, but it wasn't getting through. So he had to take it to this extreme level. And then he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you doing all this? Everything that you're doing, your, your journey right now, that is persecuting me. Because Saul's thinking, wait, how did I persecute you? And then he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, I'm pretty sure you haven't used that phrase before. And I'm pretty sure you don't know what goads are. And if you think you know, you're wrong. They're not those. <laughs> to kick against the goads, what a goad is, is it's a long stick that you use, it's an official stick that you use at this time to keep the animals away from you so they won't kick you. So if you want to get the animal to do something, you take this stick out and you, you can kind of control them. Almost like if my daughter comes up and she wants to start punching me. I want to wear this dress. No, you can't. Oh, yeah. And she starts swinging. You just put your, I take my longer arm, put it on her head. She can swing all, this never happened, ever. Um, but I put it on her head and she can swing all she wants, but she won't reach me. So you take this stick, you put it on the animal, and the animal wants to get away. So he starts to kick, right? Can't reach you because the stick's too long. But the animal will keep kicking. The animal will keep kicking. And so this phrase, this, this saying developed. It's like trying to kick against the goats. It's like this animal. It's like, really? You're going to keep trying this? You think this is going to accomplish something? You're kicking against the goad. It's not going to accomplish anything. 
And that's what Jesus is saying to Saul right here. You're trying to kick against the goats. You're, you think this is going to do anything? You think killing believers is really that bad? It's not. Now think about that for a second. Why is he saying this? Think about your thinking. Think about their thinking. Um, God, aren't you going to come in and stop this? Stop this. This is bad. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he say this? Saul, Saul, why are you killing everyone? Stop. Or I'm going to get you. Or, or stop. He doesn't even say stop. He throws in this line. It's hard for you to kick against the goat. You're wasting your time. Not, hey, stop it. It's not going to accomplish anything. That's powerful. Even then, it's like, wait, this doesn't make sense. I thought it worked this way. Isn't dying a bad thing? Isn't persecution a bad thing? What we're going to see here through the book of Acts, and what we're going to see even more importantly in life, because Acts is just an example of one group of people living life. We're going to see that God is in the pattern. He's in the habit of punching us in the face when we don't, when we're going to do something that's going to hurt us or hurt others. Now that word punch in the face is very intense. So I want us to understand kind of more what that means. Um, so I look for some, obviously, a thesaurus, because I don't have all these words in my head. But here's some other words to replace with that. This is, this is what he's doing with Saul. He is pushing him. He is driving him. He's inciting him. He's um, motivating him. He's prompting him. He's striking him. He's affecting him. He's displacing him. He's forcing him. Or, and this is my favorite one, he's inspiring him. Now, the word inspire in English means to breathe into. Inspire. Spire's breath in means in. So to breathe into. And when you think of it, when you've been inspired, that word is also used in Scripture, meaning the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit in the Bible, that word means breath or wind. And so that breath or that wind coming in, I mean, this is a moment where Saul is being inspired, where the truth is coming into him and he, he doesn't know what to do with it. Because when you're so convinced that something is a certain way and it changes, you're thrown off. In fact, what happens to him here is he becomes blind. And what happens is, is Saul is blind and the Lord tells him, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 9 now. Let's go to um, next slide, going back to Acts 9. Saul says, well, who are you? He can't even wrap his mind around this. And this is what he hears in the voice. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So he's stunned right now, so much so that Jesus isn't even giving him specifics. You think Jesus would say, okay, this is who I am. You've been wrong. This is what you need to go do. Now go do it. No. He gives him this period of time, this period of time to kind of reacclimate, to be recalibrated. Um, it's like your phone. You know when your phone... It messes up and you want to get somewhere. I don't know if you have a smartphone, but if you do, um, it has this recalibration thing and it's really annoying because I just want my phone to just work right away. But you have to like take your phone and go like this. You guys know what I'm talking about? Dumbest thing ever. I don't know why we have to do that because it has to recalibrate. Well, Saul has to be recalibrated now. He's just thrown off. That will also happen if you leave your phone in the heat too long. It needs to be recalibrated. You leave it on the dash. Well, he's been in the heat and so he needs to cool down and kind of think things through. And someone needs to go and speak with him. Someone needs to jump into the pool and finish what Jesus has started. And the guy that gets tapped on the shoulder is a guy named Ananias. 
And Ananias um, hears from God. And God tells him, you need to go to Saul and you need to go talk to him. Now remember who Saul is. Saul is the one who has gone around killing anyone who says they're a believer. They're running and hiding. They're staying in their houses, staying away from him. Because he's walking around saying, hey, do you know any Christians? Oh, yeah, that guy over there, Ananias, he's one of the believers. So Ananias is already hiding from this guy. He's already trying to get away. And God says, you know that guy you're running from? I need you to go to him. And this is what happens. So Ananias hears this. Could you go to the next slide? He says, Lord, um, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now, I could just read it, and it seems like, oh, that's normal. He's explaining to God what's going on with Saul. I don't know if you knew this, but, um, yeah, he's been hurting people. Did you know that? I think you wanted me to go, but I don't think you quite understand he's killing people. And in case you didn't know, he has authority from the chief priest. Maybe that message didn't get to you. Um, So he can arrest all of us. But we do that, don't we? I remember specifically in a situation, a financial situation, um, we had this piece of property. And I knew specifically and clearly God said, you need to sell this. And I'm thinking, um, no, that's bad economic sense. Because when you buy a piece of property and it's already paid for and it's not upside down and somebody's paying to live there and it's paying all this stuff off, you're like, mm. So I remember praying out loud with God, um, God, this doesn't make any sense. You see, because... When you have this property, and I'm like explaining economics to God. Why? Because I didn't like what he was telling me to do. That's what's happening with Ananias. You know, I really don't want to do this, so let me explain this to you, God. That's what we do. Wait, you want me to forgive this person? Wait, you want me to do what? You want me to move where? You want me to quit? You want me to what? No, you don't understand. See, because if I do that, then, and then we start explaining to God. But God knows what he's doing, and he overrules Ananias and says this. Very simply, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. With Ananias, he makes it very simple, go. And then I love this, this man is my chosen instrument. So he's sending Ananias to him to save him. He's sending him to jump into the pool and pull him to it. Hey, I've already disabled him. I grabbed him. I headbutted him. Now go in and bring him in. Show him. Walk with him. And so Ananias does this. He's obedient. Think about this. Think if for just the next week you said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do it no matter how crazy. Now most of you are going to say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. But you won't add the no matter how crazy. Because then you'd actually have to do it, right? But what if you did that for just this week at every moment? Even where you said, God, I'm not sure if you wanted me to do this, but you might have, so I'm going to try it anyways. Because I think this might be for me. What if you took that risk? What if you, what if you, I had this situation. I've shared this story before, so I'll give the very short version. I remember driving down in college, and I'd I'd made this command. I said, this week, Lord, no matter what, I'm going to do whatever you call me to do. And we're driving down the road. And we've got this, uh, um, I'm on a date, um, Katie Woods. So we're on this date, and we're driving, first date, right? Like, I'm a little busy, I'm on a date. Like, I'm trying to impress her and all this. And as I'm driving down the road, I see, it's in San Diego, and it's right on um, this road, on Rosecrans, where prostitutes are always out on the street. 
and we see these Navy guys. You can tell it's because their their haircuts, not because what they're wearing, because they changed. And this guy's walking over to this girl, and I heard God say, okay, go talk to that guy. Now, I started the debating in my mind. I didn't say it out loud and freak out Katie, but I'm driving going, mm, no, I'm on a date, and uh, I don't know that guy, and like I could get beat up, and I'm not doing that. And then I remembered my commitment. I was oh, pulled over, got out of the car. Hey, man, like he, are you a narc? Are you a narc? He thought I was coming to arrest him. I'm like, no, try explaining that to the guy. You see, I was driving, and God told me, and his head kind of tilted, and I just kept talking to him. What happened doesn't matter. The point was, what would you do if this week you committed no matter what to do whatever God called you to do? What could be accomplished? What if Ananias said no? There's a reason that God moves us to do things because it will set things right. And so Ananias does this. He jumps in the pool and pulls him out. And you know what happens to Saul? He changes his name to Paul. And he becomes a lifeguard. And if there was a hall of fame of lifeguards, if you went there, let's say it's, it's stationed in San Diego, they redid the plunge, it's the hall of fame of lifeguards from all around the world, and you walked in there, Paul would be in there. We're really thankful that Ananias listened and did what God told him to. Are you willing? Are you moldable? Are we moldable to the point where we'll let God lead us into things that don't make sense to us? Financially, emotionally, relationally, involving faith, involving who we think we are. I could never do that. There's no way I could ever do that. That's not who I am. This is who I am. This is what I was trained to do. This is what I went to school for. This is what's always happened in my family. We've always been known this way. But what if you're wrong? What if your heart is not right? With God? What if your heart is not right with yourself? What if your heart is not right with other people? God is in the business of setting things right. Why don't we just listen to Him so we never have to get to that stage where He has to punch us in the face? Quick question here. That's the first service. I'd really love to know it here. Who here has ever been punched in the face? <laughs> you guys are raising up. In the first service, they're like, yeah, they raised it really high. Um, there were more in the first service and second service. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but there's probably been very few times, for those of you that got punched in the face, and some of you might have got punched several times. I won't ask that question. <laughs> How many got punched in the face more than once? Um, but rare would you probably go back and say, thanks, I'm really glad you did that. But that guy that got saved from drowning came back and said, thanks for punching me in the face. Because I couldn't see clearly. I'm sure Ananias said it. Thank you, Lord. I had no idea what Paul was going to go on to do. And Paul probably went to the Lord and to Ananias. And he's saying that to King Agrippa. He's like, I'm thankful of what God has done. I'm grateful that he punched me in the face, that he pushed me, that he inspired me, that whatever word helps you to understand what God does, he sets things right and he'll do whatever it takes. But ultimately, Paul didn't have to listen. Paul could have just said, oh, this is ridiculous. What was that light? But he knew it was of God. And he went down the road to figure it out because it didn't make sense at first, but he was willing to follow through. So I want to close with this. Um, and I want to invite the worship team up. So as a, um, one of the things that I've been praying through the past few weeks is just for us as a church um, with our worship. And when I say worship, I don't mean singing. Singing is an expression of worship, but our worship, how we pray, 
how we sing, how we listen to God's word. And this is nothing new, and it's something that many people have recognized, but in the United States especially, and especially in Southern California, we come on a Sunday morning to worship, or we go on a Wednesday night to worship, or whatever else it is, wherever you go to worship, we go to get, we go to receive. Um, Some people will encourage me by going, oh, I came that Sunday, but you weren't there, so I was bummed, I couldn't really worship. And then some people I'll hear, oh, I'm really glad um, that you weren't there because that guy really taught very well. You should start teaching like him. We base it around the person that speaks or the different worship teams we have. Um, oh, entirely, I just feel like when I leave, I feel good. Um, and, right, Tyler? Oh, yeah. Um, and then, I wasn't talking to you. I was just talking about you. Um, and there'll be other people that don't think that. But the reality is, is that we're coming to worship because we like the way it makes us feel. Or we're coming to get something. But that's not worship what it's supposed to be. And when I talk with my friends from Bali or in Africa um, or even in El Salvador when I'm with them, there's an element when they gather to worship. And it's not perfect. But you can tell that their heart is right with God because they want to worship because they know God. And they've seen him move and they're just inspired and they're lifted and they want to sing to God. And the reality is, I'm right with you guys. There's times when the music is playing and I'm making myself sing these words to the song. I don't want to do it. Or I'm like, okay, Lord, I feel better, but I don't feel like I'm really worshiping you. I feel like I'm really worshiping myself, doing this to make myself feel better. And so in my prayer, I was like, God, I think you need to punch us in the face. I think you need to do whatever it takes to inspire us and move us, whatever it takes. And that's a scary prayer to pray. Because the people I've seen that have gotten to see the goodness of God, goodness of God have had to go, go through a lot of suffering or a lot of adversity. And that's my prayer for us. Um, I know it's weird to say out loud, but I, I hope that we get punched in the face. Hope you get punched in the face. You, you. That we all would so that we would know how good God is. Because is there anything else better for us to know than how good he is, how much he loves us, and through that love we can then love others? Instead of us going through these rituals and routines, like they're here to point us to God, but more than anything, my prayer for us is that God would, like he did with Paul, would just shine his light, whatever it takes, so that we can see the goodness of God. Because there's nothing more valuable we could have. And I've talked to my friends in Bali. In fact, when Paul was here, I literally said, look, can you send some missionary teams to us? Oh, we're the Americans. We always send out the missionaries. No, we need missionaries to come here. So if you could join me in standing, I want to pray um, and pray that prayer for us. After I pray, then the offering will come. Um, If you're visiting, just put the connection card in there. Um, If there's anything you need prayer for, um, maybe it's that you're asking the Lord to punch you in the face in some area. Or maybe he has and you just need someone to come to you to help guide you and, and walk you to the shore like Ananias. Then put that in there as well. Let's pray. Father, I don't even know how to pray this, but I ask that you would draw us to you no matter what it takes, that you would let us see you clearly, that we would know how much you love us, not hear people tell us that you love us, but that we would know your love for us, know that you made us wonderfully, that you would give us eyes to see others in the same way, that we wouldn't be 
so filled with anger or rage towards other people or our enemies, but instead, Lord, that you would set us free by your love for us, and that would set us free to love others. We surrender to you, Lord, completely, the best that we know how, in the name of Jesus. Amen.